Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Never seen the sky so blue birds are singing I got nothing to do Hey, 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 hey It's a sunny day My pocket's empty My cupboard's bare But call me illogical I just don't care Hey, hey, hey It's just a sunny It's the KSL Greenhouse. Expert tips for flowers, trees, gardens, and soil. Our hosts are Maria Chaleos and Ton Bettis on KSL News Radio. Good morning, and thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Number to call with your questions, and we'll be taking questions in just a few minutes. Phone lines are open at 801 575 8255. You can also text us at 57500. Just a programming note for today, BYU fans, KSL's pregame coverage of BYU. BYU's opener against Sam Houston State. That starts tonight at 6 and it's sponsored by UCCU Love Where You Bank. Wanted to start the 10 o'clock hour and talk about building raised beds. And we have a special guest with us on the line this morning. J.D. Gunnell, who's our extension horticulture faculty up in the Cache Valley. He's lived on the Wasatch Front also and knows lived in Layton for years and years, but he's doing a lot of construction in his house right now. And one of those things that between the community gardens and homes, community uh, raised beds, and you can make raised beds out of a lot of different materials. And I wanted to talk about the different materials, advantages and disadvantages. Okay. Before you guys dig into that though, I want to talk just for a second, you two and welcome JD. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us this morning, but why should people build raised beds? I mean, J.D., what's the best reason people should be building raised beds? So, as Han said, I lived in Layton for many, many years, and our soil there was almost straight clay. You could throw a pot in the backyard easier than grow. So, really heavy, poorly drained soils, are it's hard to grow in. So, that would be one case where I would recommend raised beds. Um, up where I live in Cache Valley, the soils stay cold for a long extended period in the spring. So raised beds actually warm quicker because they're above ground. So those are two instances where I would recommend raised beds. Um, yeah, it's, it, it just makes things a lot easier as well. I don't have to till or I when I weed, I pull out the weeds very easily because it's a light, fluffy mix because um, you're creating your own growing medium another plus is as i get older my raised beds i uh, build at my house are about three feet tall so i don't have to bend over to harvest saving your back 
Yes. All right. Well, and along those lines, you can design raised beds if you your abilities are becoming more limited or if you have, you know, limited abilities that won't allow you to bend over or you say you're in a wheelchair or something, you can build raised beds to almost any design to accommodate your uh, limitations so that you can still garden. Right. Okay. So you're talking about there are many things that you can build. I don't know if there's many, but there are options when you're building raised beds. J.D., what are you using to build your raised beds? So in the community gardens, we use redwood. It's a natural, rot-resistant wood that will last up to 25, 30 years, which will get me through my career. And then the next guy gets to deal with it, maybe replace the wood then. But uh, just for example, if you use just 2x4s or 2x6s out of fur, that you would usually frame with in a house, they only last five to six years. So you're getting really good um, weathering and and residual use out of cedar and redwood. So redwood at the community gardens, I wanted a, a little bit more refined look at my house. Um, I really like cedar the way it, it grays with time, and so I've got those at my house. So cedar and redwood are two materials that are naturally rot-resistant. So you don't have to treat them with anything. The number one question I get with raised beds is because it can get quite expensive because you're dealing with lumber. A lot of people go to the big box stores and they'll see the pressure treated stuff. And they'll be like, wow, that's like five times cheaper. Can I use that? And it's kind of a choose your own adventure. It's, it's a risk association, how much risk you're willing to have. Pressure-treated lumber is treated currently with copper and other compounds that are considered non-toxic to the EPA. It used to be arsenic and other compounds, but in the early 2000s, they uh, prevented wood companies from using that uh, chemical anymore. So copper is a plant nutrient, but the amount that's in that wood is way more than a plant could use. And there is some leaching that occurs. So my general rule is if you're going to be eating the crops in the raised bed, I would steer away from pressure-treated lumber. But if it's just ornamental beds, I don't see a problem with it. So I that's what I think Grant Cardin is generally recommended. He said if you use them, grow your edible crops toward the middle of the bed and put ornamental stuff around the edges just for those same cautions. Um, before we we're getting a little close to the break, not quite there. I wanted to talk about say the metal, the, that people are using the sheet metal and also like PVC. Could you comment on those also? Yeah. Um, the PVC, the, I mean, it, it looks clean and crisp, but the problem is it's very flexible and you get a lot of weight behind soil inside the box and they bow. So you're going to need to have some kind of structure inside to, to sure it up. And as far as the galvanized steel and some of those products, they will last as well. But again, you've got the compounds and chemicals in, in the metal that can in time leach because that soil in, in direct contact with that metal will will decay that metal in time. So kind of the same idea with with pressure-treated stuff. Um, it's, you know, it's one of those things, 
life, the ultimate end of life is death and in between is, is what you choose. And so I would definitely do your homework on materials. Um, and it's a, it's a risk aversion thing. It's just like I tell people with organic gardening versus using synthetic chemicals. It's a, it's, it's what you are comfortable with. Okay, so for those of us who have never attempted or really considered doing grow boxes, is it actually a box? I mean, is it a complete box? Are you putting a box wood underneath as well? Or is it just sitting, you've built the sides and, you know, made sure that it's going to stand up, but you don't have wood or something on the bottom of it. It's right on top of your your beds. Well, like Con was describing, if it's a wheelchair access bed, they will have a bottom that you can kind of roll under with the wheelchair. But most of the time, I'm just building a framework on the edges or the outsides, leaving the bottom open so that there's... I actually will go in, no matter what kind of soil I have, put the raised bed in, and then I'll add some compost layer and kind of till that into the native soil and then add what I'm going to mix inside afterwards. Because you want that drainage ability. You don't want to block any of the water from draining into the natural soil. All right, J.D., we want to keep you for a few more minutes. Can you hang on the line with us for just a few minutes? You bet. Okay, yeah, we need to really talk about what you're putting in these garden boxes because if you're going to be successful, you don't want to just take dirt from your yard, right, Tom? You really don't. Okay, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Number to call 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. Thanks for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria, Ton, and JD joining us this morning. We have been talking about building raised beds, and we pretty much tackled what we're going to be building the raised beds out of or what is best or at least yeah. giving people options and bef- that they need to consider. Yeah, before we get into what to fill them with, there's mm-hmm. a text that says, what about concrete? J.D., do you want to address that one? Um, it works. You you get that initial lime leaching into the soil, which is a highly it, – it's, it's high pH, uh, if nothing else. So uh, weathered cement would be better than fresh poured cement, but – you can use basically anything that can hold in dirt, even stones and rock. Um, yeah, if, if you, the only limitation to the materials themselves is you. So the texter that just said that they've lined their garden beds with Tyvek house wrap on the inside of wood, what are your thoughts on that? I don't know what that is, so I'm not even it's sure. White, I'm not sure I'm even the, pronouncing that correctly. Yeah, it's the white plastic. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, they put it on homes before they cite it. Okay. 
I yeah, there's go ahead, JD. Sorry. I've, I've never heard of that, but you can't, there's nothing saying you can't do it. Yeah. I just, there's nothing as far as information out there talking about whether it's safe, if it leaches or whatever, but I, yeah. Just make sure and do your research and know what you're using, right? And what would be best in your particular circumstances. Okay, so let's talk about what goes in uh, these grow boxes because my first instinct would be to pull, you know, dirt from somewhere else in my yard and put in there, and that's just not going to be great. No, and and the thing of it is, is when you're building these boxes, it's an investment. I mean, the ones at the community garden, we've got 70 of them. And they were each about two to three hundred dollars just in construction materials. So with that investment, you don't want to just throw in the same dirt that you hated that caused <laughs> you to build the raised bed. Right. Now I will say it at my house where I have them three feet deep, I did fill the first two feet with that native cruddy soil because the plant roots are only going to go down a foot at the most. So I filled the void up with whatever was around, and then use that top growing portion with a, a raised bed mix. And most nurseries will have a garden box mix. It's very fluffy and high in organic matter like fine compost or soil pep. It's very breathable, very highly drained. And so that's what plants really want is that high aeration and water holding capacity. But I will say all of these mixes, which my my master's research was in garden bed mixes, mm-hmm. and it is really hard. If you go to a nursery and say, what's your mix, because you want to mix your own, they won't tell you. It's a proprietary thing, and every nursery tends to have the quote-unquote best mix around. But I will tell you that in using these mixes for almost 20 years now, they are super light. And they drain and dry out really quickly. So one trick that I have found is to buy the raised bed mix and and then mix it 50-50 with a topsoil. Because as Ton will um, agree with, there is something magical about dirt and soil, the microbes, the, the weight and water holding capacity of just regular topsoil. So I'll mix it 50-50 with a garden box mix. And then I'm not having to water every day. You know, J.D., when I was running the community gardens, the different ones up in Cache Valley several years ago, the South County Community Garden, we did exactly that, where the soil was decent already. But our raised bed mix was 50% compost to 50% soil. And we would just put one to two inches of compost back into the beds every year and the growth we got out of that garden was phenomenal more yeah. so than what we had up in Hyde Park. And so that's, that is actually um, something I can support wholeheartedly. Now I have seen a lot. I don't know if it's my searching or my video watching on my phone. I'm starting to get a lot of TikTok videos about putting logs and you read my mind you read my mind google culture or whatever it's called (laughs) google culture yeah Yeah, putting those in the bottom right yep to to utilize space and and actually it works it fills the space but all those things are going to break down in time and you're going to end up filling with that expensive mix eventually so 
when I do construction, I don't have a high level of patience. So I want to get it all done in one shot. I don't want to come back in four or five years and have to add more, even though the, the soil breaks down in time, like Con saying, just adding that couple inches of compost each fall, you usually keep on he- ahead of things. Yeah, I'm glad you're mentioning each fall because this isn't just a one and done. You're not just going to put all this good material in there and then you don't have to add no, and any we're putting n- it nutrients in, again in the fall, so it has a chance to at least partially break down and do what it needs to do to actually get you a good soil. Applying compost in the fall is much better than doing it in the spring. Okay, so now I'm going to ask you guys, how are you watering these things? Um, I have drip irrigation in all of my raised beds. When I'm going through the construction phase, I just automatically tie in with its own valve and there's half-inch drip line. They now have quarter-inch drip line with spacing every six inches if you want to do row crops. Um, Ton and I actually just wrote a fact sheet on irrigation and vegetables that tackles some of that drip irrigation um, fear, some of the math behind it. So you can check that out online. Um, we also have the raised bed construction uh, fact sheet on raised bed gardening. You can look that up. It has recipes if you want to if you do want to make your own soil mix. Talks about the different materials. So don't usually when I speak, I plan on people remembering about five percent of what I say. So there's always got to be a a written something to back up what I say. All right, we have about a minute left. Uh, what what is the the thing that people the for, the biggest thing they do wrong when they start planning to do uh, these sort of garden boxes? Um, I would biggest say the mistake, biggest mistake, I guess, <laughs> mistake is the soil mix they, they they put in. They get frustrated because they put in just the pure garden mix. And if you're not a horticulturist and you don't do this all the time, you go to the nursery and you expect that that raised bed mix is going to be perfect. But then when you're having to water every day, twice a day to keep the soil saturated or at least the plants watered, that's really frustrating. So that's why adding that topsoil, adding a little bit more weight to that soil mix really helps alleviate some of that frustration of having to water so often. All right, J.D., uh, we're getting up against a break, but I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Going the extra segment. So we need to get you on the show to come in for the three hours again. It's been a while, but uh, thank you again. Thanks, J.D. Have a nice weekend. Thanks. Phone lines are open. Number for you to call 801-575-8255, and you can text us at 57500. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.